morning, TCC. Uh, we are the Matthew family, and uh, we've been attending TCC for the past seven years. The, I'm Anoop, uh, this is my wife, Sharon, our son, Joshua, and we have Nathan and Esther who are upstairs in the, uh, upstairs. Today's Bible passage is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I'll be reading from the New International Version. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Anoop and Sharon and Joshua. I, uh, you know, when they get tired of me saying this because I, um, I remember the very first Sunday that they attended. It was Canada Day, and they had just arrived in Canada from India, and they took the bus to TCC. And what is unique about the long weekends in the summer at TCC? There's no brunch. And, uh, and so we were just chatting a little bit and, um, and Esther was just a baby. And so every Sunday that I see Esther, I just somehow flash back to that early remembrance, that first interaction of this, of this little baby who's now seven years old. And so a gift to, uh, to Canada as you came to study and have now stayed and, um, and a gift to us as a church as well. So thank you for that. Friends, I should, you know, sometimes we tell you all about what's coming up, and no doubt there's a lot of things that take place for, for you know, specific groups. There's something for ladies and men and seniors, um, for those who are grieving, the youth are having their own, their own Christmas party. Um, <clears throat> but we do have some events for everyone that everyone's invited to, and one of those was last weekend, uh, Winter Delight. And I think if we have some pictures there, just again, it's just the, Winter Delight is a community event that TCC has been doing in the very early part of... Um, uh, right from the first year, basically, of TCC's existence. The vision is really just to build bridges into the community. And so we create these events uh, <clears throat> with um, uh, at winter with the sleigh ride and hot chocolate and cookies and all those kind of things. And then uh, we have spring carnival, of course, uh, in the spring. And it's a carnival, hence the name. And, uh, and then we do Friday at the park. Also, um, it takes place on a Friday and it's at the park and we serve hot dogs. Um, so not super creative in terms of the title. But you can see um, there's me giving direction to Marnie. 
go do that now. Um, I think that's the caption on that picture. Maybe you guys can supply your own caption. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, Take this picture, and in the friendship book today, when you sign it, um, come up with your own caption. What am I telling Marnie to do there? Um, But we want to thank those of you who served that made it possible to, in some capacity, you were serving, you were helping people get on and off the wagons, you were serving hot chocolate, you were helping kids play games, all of those kind of things you helped with set up and clean up. And so we're so grateful to you and we're grateful to Marnie for her awesome leadership. But I know Marnie would be quick to say that she couldn't do it without the volunteers as well. And so thank you to those who served. Let's show our appreciation for everyone that was part of that. Well, as Pastor Adam in his introduction already said that, uh, you know, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, perhaps Advent is new to you. You maybe heard the word, um, but you're not maybe really sure what it's about. Or maybe it's only known by, you know, the various calendars that you can get now that uh, are basically a countdown to Christmas Day. And Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And so the Advent season is a four-week season of preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas. And preparing for this celebration is probably what we know and do best, right? We decorate and bake and buy gifts. We send cards. We gather with family and friends Right To fully enjoy a good celebration, we know that proper preparation is a key. But all of the hustle and bustle can actually distract us during the Advent season. Advent really should be a little bit more, you know, reflective in nature. More, you know, O come, O come, Emmanuel, than, you know, Jingle Bells or Santa Claus is coming to town for sure. And one of the things I want to get you to think about this season as you enter into Advent with us, pay close attention to the songs that you hear, whether it's on the radio, um, maybe you play something at home, or maybe you're in the mall or something like that, but just pay close attention. And, and really, there's almost this sense that uh, maybe this is too, too, too uh, general, but It's like all of our Christmas music can fit into sort of two categories. There's this sense of Advent longing, you know, this sense of anticipation. And, um, you know, when we sang um, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices this morning. Like there's just this sense of, yeah, it's not all well in the world, but Jesus changed that. Um, so there's a sense of Advent longing, but also then the sense of Christmas joy. And we kind of live um, within these kind of two tensions sometimes throughout Advent. But pay attention to that because Advent really is more about this longing and anticipating and waiting. So less noise and busyness and hurry. And yet we know the world moves quickly, right? Especially at Christmas time. Handwriting a card and mailing it and anticipating the arrival of cards at Christmas, uh, for the most part, has been replaced by, you know, copy, paste, and send in an email or a text. Now, it doesn't matter what it is. We want to move fast. We like to have instant gratification. No one likes to wait. Have you noticed that? I get in line 
Costco gas. And I immediately start counting how many cars are in each line, which is the shortest one. Or when you're going to the checkout counter, um, you start looking at not only how many people are in line, but how many items they have. Right? You hear me? I'm not the only one that does that. I know it. Um, You can confess that to me later. I just did publicly. But we just don't like to wait. Right? We We just want everything to move and be quick. But in Advent, there's this invitation to wait and to long and to expect. Just like the people of Israel waited for the arrival of their Messiah to come and rescue them. They were expecting, of course, a mighty conqueror, someone who would save them politically. Instead, he came as a helpless baby in a manger, and they did not understand it, that he came to save them spiritually. You see, Advent is not just a time to remember and experience this past event But it's also a time when we are waiting and looking ahead to the time that Jesus comes again. And we know the pain and the brokenness of our world all too well. And we long for all things to be made right. And so as Pastor Steve led us, rightly so, so many times this morning, come Lord Jesus. That should be our prayer, especially at Advent. And so each year, every Advent, we intentionally focus on the traditional Advent themes of hope, joy, peace, and love. And we light a candle each week that represents these themes, themes that really, if you stop and think about it, are pretty foundational to our life in Christ. And so I've just come to the conclusion that I think at least once a year, it's important to remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Christ, the peace that comes, the joy that we experience in our relationship with Christ, and again, focusing on his love. Now, by the way, the church calendar, as it's known in in some traditions, actually starts with Advent. And so this is kind of the, the kickoff to the whole church calendar. Christmas Day then actually starts what's known as the 12 days of Christmas. And yeah, that's where we get the strange song from. But when you think about this sense of longing and waiting and then celebrating on Christmas Day and for 12 days after, you see how confused our culture is? Because for the most part, we also fall in step with the culture on this. Everything seems to be oriented around, right, getting ready for Christmas. And then Christmas Day comes and goes, and the next day we're taking down decorations, boxing them up, and then heading to the malls for the Boxing Day sales. Tina doesn't know this. We haven't actually discussed this yet, but I'm putting my foot down, and the Christmas tree is staying up till January 6th this year. You see, you contrast what we experience with the rhythm that the ancient Western church established. For 20 plus days during Advent, they actually fasted and abstained from public festivities to prepare for the holy day by being drawn into the sense of longing for Messiah's coming. And it was felt by generations of God's faithful people. And so it's this heightened sense of anticipation that would give way to just this 
incredible sense of overwhelming joy and celebration when Christmas Day then finally came. And only then followed uh, the 12 days of Christmas, climaxing on January 6th with what's known as Epiphany, which is the commemoration of the visit of the Magi or the wise men. Right? You see, we don't like to, to wait. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, and kids, kids like Christmas is an incredible time for kids, right? And they, they long and they anticipate and they tell you what they want and, and, and they're, they're eagerly hoping for those things. I was one of those kids that couldn't wait usually till Christmas Day. And if my parents were out of the house, I knew where the best hiding spots were for those gifts. And I just ruined Christmas every year because I couldn't wait. And I'd go and I'd find what I was getting or what my sister was getting. And, and then I would tell my sister that I knew what she was getting and all of that kind of stuff. I just ruined it for everyone pretty much. But Stanley Grant's writing about this. He's a late theologian. He wrote an article in Christianity Today. I think it was in 1999. And he writes this. Listen to these words. The irony of our situation is that in our rush towards Christmas, we end up truncating the celebration. Once December 25th is passed, so is the holiday. Stretching the 12 days of Christmas until January 6th seems entirely out of place. In fact, we have eliminated the need to do so by moving the adoration of the Magi to our early Christmas. We efficiently and ahistorically place the wise men at the manger next to the shepherds. How many of you have, you know, a nativity scene and the wise men are there, right? Well, in theory, if you look at the timing, they didn't get to Jerusalem that quick. It's remembered on January 6th. But he continues right. He says, we cannot even stretch Christmas to December 26th. For Boxing Day entices us to take our unwanted rebox gifts back to the stores or to buy boxes of the sale goods that draw us out in droves for one of the biggest shopping days of the year. Isn't that true? But when we slow the pace during Advent, when we take time for silence and solitude, when we just take time to reflect on this gift and who Jesus is and what he means to us. We're reminded that the hope of Christmas is rooted in God who still breaks into human lives today. He came and he lived among us. His name is Emmanuel, as we were singing, which means what? God with us. So, friends, every time you hear Emmanuel in a Christmas carol in these next few weeks. Be reminded of that truth. God with us. And he says you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This was in the reading from Matthew. You see, this is why Advent is so important. It's not just the, the birth of the Son of God that we celebrate, but we take time to remember the why. Why did Jesus come? And when we do, we notice all the ways that we need to be saved. Our hope for restoration comes when we recognize our need to be saved. And so simply put, Advent prepares us for genuine Christmas joy 
and faith in the one who saves us from our sin, Jesus. You see, we live in this space between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming, the now and the not yet. And we know deep down that things are not right in this world. We turn on the news or social media and we discover over and over that our world is full of sin and sickness and suffering. And in, our, in a word, there is just lot, a lot of pain. And I doubt there's anyone listening that hasn't experienced some level of pain this year. Perhaps even in recent weeks. And so Advent just fully embraces our pain, our agonized longing for hope on the other side of this present pain. It it, it won't always be like this, we have to remind ourselves. And so even in our pain, we pray, come Lord Jesus. So what is hope? Hope, when we use the word, is really often used to express like a wish or a longing or a desire. Uh, I sometimes, just because I, I, I do wish this, I, I do mean this, when I send a, a card or an email to someone, I say, you know, I, I hope this email finds you well, or I hope you're doing well, I hope your week is going well, or something like that. Or maybe we send a card to, to someone who is sick, and we say something like, you know, I hope you get better soon. Well, those expressions of hope, when we really think about it, are really more of a wish, right? It's an expression of optimism. A wish, ironically, has, has no real hope of fulfillment because what we hope for may or may not actually be true or it may or may not actually happen. You may, in fact, not be doing well when you get that email. And while we may wish that someone feels better, that may or may not happen. So hope is not a wish. It's not just a desire, and it's far more than a longing. We're told in Romans 12, 12, to be joyful in hope. This is a command. Because hope is commanded, we can assume that it's possible to possess and maintain real hope no matter what the circumstances are. John Mark Comer, Pastor Adam's not the only one who can quote him, Um, has this working definition of biblical hope. The expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Just to think about that. The expectation of something good that's going to come, but it's based on the person and promises of God. Uh, Another definition of true biblical hope, this time from author Sherry Wagner, she said, It's a strong and confident expectation, an unwavering trust in the unchanging character of God. Essentially saying the same thing, just in a different way. But from these definitions, we can see ultimately that the object of our hope is Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews, when talking about Jesus, says this in Hebrews 6 verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, Note that anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Isn't that a a great word picture? 
right? The, the writer is comparing his hope in Jesus to the anchor of a ship. And what does an anchor do? It, it, it keeps us from drifting. It helps keep us in place. It, it, it secures uh, the ship against the elements. It, it keeps it steady and secure when the wind and the waves come. And having the anchor keeps the ship from ultimate moving, ultimately moving in a direction that it doesn't want to go. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when Jesus becomes the object of our hope, it also secures us in place. You see, when outside elements come against us, when those proverbial storms of life hit us hard, it's this hope that prevents us from moving in a direction that we don't want to go. So hope is an anchor for the soul. And so hope says, you can remain steady and secure even when your circumstances are not. Hope says, you can remain strong and confident in the face of the unknown. So no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your unknown future is, when your hope is in Christ, it roots you, it stabilizes you, it anchors you. And we need that anchor in our lives. And so ultimately, hope develops a deeper trust in us. And we can have this expectation and this confidence that it's not about our circumstances. It's not found in our success or past achievements or our material possessions. All of those things would be misplaced hope. You see, from the definitions that I just shared, our hope is in the person and promises of God. Or, as uh, Sherry Wagner says, the unchanging character of God. And the only reason that you and I can be strong and confident is what? Not in ourselves, but in God, who is who he says he is. The Apostle Paul in writing to 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, and incidentally, uh, hope is just, just permeates through the, the whole of the scriptures. But we find it in, in sometimes in unusual places. And, and, and here, Paul is writing kind of to his protege, Timothy. Um, and he says this in verse 17, chapter 6. He says, instruct those who are rich in the present age. I like how he adds in the present age. No, no word is a mistake in the scriptures. It, it, it's there for a reason, right? Because there's another age to come. And it's just not going to matter then. But he says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their what? Hope on the uncertainty of wealth. You see, when you and I wake up in the morning and we got to check how the stock market has done for us to feel secure and to feel stable and to feel like, you know, we've got, uh, you know, this down, we're going to be okay we are placing our hope on the uncertainty of wealth. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't instruct them not to put their hope there because that's misplaced hope. But put it on God. Hoping in finances 
and money is temporary. You just need to get sick and realize that money can't buy you health. Well, let me ask you this. Think back to a time when you received hard news, bad news. Do you remember a time? Maybe you were laid off from a job. Maybe there's an awareness for the first time of some really deep relational conflict in your life. Maybe the doctor calls you in for an important, urgent meeting after you've just had a biopsy and you hear that you've got a cancer diagnosis or someone you love has passed away. What happens to you when you get news like that? Does it knock you off your feet? Do these circumstances move you to places you'd rather not go? Do they cause you to despair and to doubt? See, there's no doubt that every one of us will face really hard, painful events in our lives. None of us expect it. None of us want it. But it likely is inevitable. But hope secures us to a God who is not moved by the things that move us. There's a song that I think captures this hope as an anchor image so beautifully. It's called Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor by Matt Papa and Matt Boswell. And the first verse is simply this. Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. So that's what hope is. Having this confidence, this sure and steady confidence, having an expectation of coming good, based on the person and promises of God. Well, let me just take a few minutes in closing to illustrate this hope and apply it to our own lives by looking at the passage that was read for us about Joseph. Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus. He raised Jesus. He was not, obviously, his biological father. But Joseph... I think it's safe to say that he had his world rocked one day when he found out that Mary was pregnant. <clears throat> now, the passage doesn't you know, give us that exchange, but it just states some facts, and it covers some important details. It says, first of all, that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And so this is kind of like an engagement, but it's kind of more than that as well. Because breaking now this engagement, this pledge, or the fact that they were betrothed, some of your translations might say, made it, um, made it basically divorce. And so they, they were in relationship. But they had not been together, right? 
Do we know what that means? Do I need to give more detail on that? Basically, they had no sexual intimacy. But then, Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I mean, how does it, you know, how do you explain that? And the text says nothing about how Joseph reacted to this news. But I have to imagine that there was a flood of emotion. I'm sure it probably at first he, he just doubted the whole, you know, oh, pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Haha, <laughs> yes, I'm sure, Mary. What were you up to? Maybe he dealt with anger. I mean, how could she? We were committed to one another. And there must have been these deep expressions of personal anguish as he himself then contemplated, the scripture says, quietly divorcing Mary. But then something extraordinary happens. Right? Usually when we're in that place where we're tossed about and we're confused and we can't make sense even of our emotions, something extraordinary usually happens and God speaks. He shows up. And in the case of Joseph, an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so the angel corroborates Mary's story. And the angel continues, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why Jesus? Because the text says, because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus is simply the Greek form of the name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So all of these names for Jesus are, are rich in meaning. Emmanuel and Jesus and Christ and Messiah. But Matthew then fills in the detail that this was in fact a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy some 700 years earlier. When Isaiah prophesied, you can read this for yourself in Isaiah 7 verse 14, but Matthew quotes it here and says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There it is again. And so this passage is rich in detail and it really is quite extraordinary but Matthew continues, verse 24, When Joseph woke up and did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, because that's what he was told. And so how did Joseph demonstrate hope in this situation? Just a couple of quick thoughts. Number one, he submits to God's will. He submits to God's will. You see, he came up with a plan pretty quickly. And that was to quietly divorce Mary and just kind of disappear out the back door. And then, you know, no more questions. But the angel convinces him otherwise. You see, sometimes really hard things come into our lives. And we have to trust that God has a bigger purpose for it. I think of the anguish prayer of Jesus himself in the garden. He said, take this cup away from me. But not what I will, but what you will. And so there you have the son submitting to the will of the father. I know someone who was once diagnosed with confidence. 
or sorry, with, with cancer. Maybe he was diagnosed with confidence, maybe too. But, but his confidence was, and this is why I made that mistake, in the providence and sovereignty of God. And so his line was simply, providence is a soft pillow. What did he mean by that? He didn't have to lose sleep over his diagnosis because he could trust that God was in control and that he could rest securely in his hope in who God is. And so when we have that confidence in the character of God, that he is in control of all things, that he is sovereign, and sometimes that sovereignty is wise and purposeful, that makes it providence. Friends, I need to be reminded of that. I notice lately, I don't know if it's an age thing or what, but I actually tend to get more anxious about things. I, I, I tend to, to be a little bit more fearful about things than I previously was, and I'm trying to make sense of that. But when we just surrender to who God is and know that he's not going to allow anything into our lives that doesn't have a purpose, and yes, sometimes there's pain and suffering, and our first question is, is why God? Maybe the question is, well, why not? What is it that you are doing and forming in my life? And so we express our hope in God when we submit to his will. Second thing to notice about Joseph is that he actually then responds to God's voice. You see, Joseph thinks he's got it all figured out, right? But then the angel appears to him and reframes the situation. Mary, in fact, has not sinned. She really is pregnant through a supernatural act of God. And so I don't want you to divorce her and don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Now, isn't that what we do when our world is shaken? We make our own plans. We quickly contemplate all of our options. We take matters into our own hands, thinking that we can somehow control the situation. But if, in fact, we just trust in God, we will pay attention to his direction, to his voice. And it may surprise us. It may not be at all what we think it is. And lastly, we see Joseph, that he's willing to bear the cost of obedience. It's clear that Joseph was afraid of what people would say about Mary and himself. And so to this, the angel brings to him a word of comfort. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. His hope in God allows him to do that. And Matthew explains that Joseph did what the Lord had commanded. says, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the son. Other translations say he married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. There was some waiting for Joseph involved in this. And I'm sure it was hard and painful at times. But what is clear is that he placed his hope in the person and promises of God and in fact was expecting that something good would come. And something good did come. And it was hard and it was painful. Because Jesus would give his life on the cross. 
so that through his death and his resurrection, we might have the hope of the resurrection, the hope of eternity, the hope of forgiveness of sins, the hope that he will come again just as he promised. So friends, ask yourself just this simple question this morning. Where is your hope today? Where has your hope been placed? And you can answer that by thinking about what you do when you're afraid, what you do when you're anxious, what you do in hard times, what you do when, when the wind and the storms of life come. Where is our hope? And then let's be careful to not misplace our hope. Because if there's one thing that we need to be reminded of at Advent, is that our hope is in Jesus, and that hope is then oriented toward the future reality that he is coming again. And so hope simply reminds us of who God is, this long-awaited Messiah, the suffering servant who left glory to become like us, to rescue us, to save us. And so I think it's only fitting that on this first Sunday of Advent, we also gather around the tables and remember what Christ has done. That he lived, that he came, he was born as a baby, he was fully God and fully man. He lived and then he died for you and for me so that we might have forgiveness of sins. That is our hope in Christ. And when you can stand secure with that as your anchor in life, it doesn't matter what comes, what happens. It's hard and God understands. But if we can trust him to be at work, just think about that. The questions that the disciples had when they they saw Jesus being nailed to a cross. His own mother not understanding, but having to witness the horrific brutality that was inflicted upon him in his death. Why do we say it's Good Friday? Because of the outcome. Because of the result. God is good. Even when he seems to be absent or distant or uninvolved, But friends, he is Emmanuel. Know that. I don't know why I feel this so passionately today, because God is with you. Some of you need to hear that. Whatever you're facing right now, God is with you in the pain, in the suffering. And so when Christmas seems like it's all about joy and opening presents and having parties... And you don't feel that at all. It's okay. God is with you in your pain. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. And so we're going to gather around these tables. Well, we won't like all gather around the tables. There isn't enough room for that. But I'm just going to invite you to take some time this morning to just reflect and give thanks for what Jesus did on the cross. Thank him for the hope that you have. Maybe you can just even confess to him, man, I have misplaced my hope today, this week. In that situation, I didn't trust you, and I'm sorry.
Scripture says that we should examine ourselves before we come and take these elements. And really just examine yourselves for two things. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you not? See, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't make sense. In fact, it probably seems kind of weird and strange that we're taking a piece of bread and a a cup that we say represents his broken body and his shed blood. But that's okay. Just take some time to think about that, why we do this, and just don't participate yourself. That's okay. And so when the people stand to come forward, if you just want to let people go by or step out of the aisle to let them go by, that's fine too. And so you come row by row. And when you get towards the back of these middle sections and certainly those seats at the back, just make your way to then whatever is the shortest row. And for some of you, it'll be off to this side and, uh, and others, it'll be off to this side as well. But just move out your aisle to the right come around the front, pick up the elements. There's both the prepackaged ones and then the cup and the, and the bread if you want one or the other. And take those elements back to your, to your uh, seats. The worship team is going to come now and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. And maybe you want to sing along. Maybe you just want to listen. Maybe you want to just pray and reflect. That's fine. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me as we just pray. Father, We thank you that we have hope in Christ. And Lord, it's hard for us to even put ourselves in that place where the people of Israel were longing and waiting for a Messiah. And then when he came and he didn't meet their expectations, they, they missed it. But we have come... We've come to faith in Jesus because of your activity in our lives and what you've done through your spirit in our lives. Lord, we, we walk sometimes in this weary and broken world. And we ourselves feel like that. And we deal with grief and we walk with people who are going through deep grief. And there's all sorts of tragedies that happen in life and none of them are explainable. We don't understand. But I pray, Father, that we can put the unknown behind us and put our confidence and trust in what we do know. That you are God that loves us and you sent your son to die for us and you want the very best for us. And sometimes to form us and shape us, we experience times of pain and suffering. And I pray, Father, that in our frustration and in our anger and in our anxiety and in our fear, we would come to you and just say, I don't understand. Help me to believe. Help me to trust. So I pray, Father, that as we come and get these elements, that it would be as much an expression of our hope as it is an expression of our thanksgiving. Because you, Jesus, are, in fact, the hope of the nations. You are our hope. And we remember that today. In Jesus' name we pray.